Welcome to the Dark Depths Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I am here with the devourer of the free himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? Ugh, no, not again. Okay. All right. Let's, let's try this again. All right. So this week, I'm actually running solo again. Uh, Michael had his uh, that uh, COVID vaccine, uh, and he's feeling a little under the weather. Um and also, it's his wife's birthday, so happy um, birthday to his wife if she ends up listening to this, which I'm not sure she does, but let's pretend she does for the sake of this conversation uh, between me and you. So, um, I'm going to run through just kind of things that have happened over the past week. Um, going to keep it relatively short, um, just because I know weeks with just me are a little, eh, little not only they lackluster, because I think you guys always enjoy, enjoy what I have to say as well, but... A um, little less play when Michael's not here. So I'll try to keep it relatively straight. Um, typically, we'd start off with just kind of going with how our weeks went. So I, mine was good. How was yours? God, that sounds terrible. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, well, I'll talk about myself for a little bit then. Um, I've been trying to play a little bit more um, just casually. It's the, as, as you guys know, um, it's actually Teacher Appreciation Week um, nationally, which is really cool. Um, but I've been trying to play a little bit more uh, with friends, which I think has been, definitely helped my mood. It's definitely been a tough kind of type of year. only have a month left. I've got five more weeks, and then my kids will take their finals, and then I am done. Basically, once I get to, to June 8th, I am done teaching, which is a really good feeling for me, at least. Um, but I have been get, getting to play a little bit more... Um, Commander, which I, I know I don't I know we don't talk about Commander terribly often, uh, but I ended up building a Tassiger combo deck. So um, in classic Legacy fashion, um, most of my games come down to me either casting Ad Nauseum, drawing a bunch of cards, and comboing off from there, um, or casting some combination of Thassa's Oracle and Tainted Pact or Demonic Consultation or um, Doomsday. So I've been having a lot of fun. I actually won a game uh, on f uh, last Friday where I got to cast Doom uh, Doomsday, cat or uh, cycled a. I'm trying to think what the card's actually called. Um, two mana cycling. Uh, I forget what it's called. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I cycled a, a card from my hand, um, drew a gush, gushed, and then cast my Thassa's Oracle to win the game, which was super sweet. Um, and once again, I think I think I talked about this before. It's even though it's not you know, exactly legacy. Like I think it puts you in enough situations where you get to play things that never come up. Like once again, I I don't know when the last time I've actually cast gushes, but it puts you in a situation. Well, how do I combo off? I actually just uh, played a game a couple minutes ago uh, where I cast Doomsday and my opponent had a grimy siege on the battlefield. I actually just missed it entirely and uh, ended up. Um, gushing myself um, to death, but you know it's like well now now I'm thinking about it and like this has been on my mind for the past like ten minutes. It's like well how do I how can I win that? You know if I have I, I had the ability to draw one card and he, they let me draw the one card. Um, is it possible for me to actually win that game and combo through with you know with the grinding station on the battlefield? Uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm not sure. 
and I think I've come up with a different, a couple different lines, but I always think being able to kind of stretch yourself into different formats uh, with different constraints, especially that you're used to. Like I, my mindset is so focused on playing modern and legacy at this point that I basically only think about cards that are legal in those formats, right? I always think about uh, something like, I'll say, mana leak or force negation, force of will, veil of summer as an option. Um, but you know, how do I play around silence? Like is is that an effect I have to be able to play around and when it does come up, like what kind of precautions can I take? Um, what happens if my opponent has mental misstep? And obviously that's something that is, you know, quite popular in um, something like EDH, but also shows up in Vintage, um, which is a format I also, you know, really enjoy playing. So I think it's interesting. And I, I kind of like the idea of trying to figure out these different puzzles in different formats. And hopefully, I mean, the intention is that all this, playing and kind of stretching my mind um, kind of solve these puzzles that don't come up terribly often will help me adapt to better situations or new situations uh, when I'm playing back in Legacy and Modern. Um, this is actually one of the biggest issues that I've had I think as a player is that I'm very good once I kind of understand the script right I understand how this goes I understand how this card plays I know that Pyroclasm is not good here but Anger of the Gods is good at this matchup um, I understand that I don't, re I can't really afford to cast Wrath, but Supreme Verdict is a killer. So um, I actually had a game. I think um, Mathen had talked about this in one episode, um, but I had a, a game first. Um, <laughs> former Rookie of the Year, if you want to call him that, uh, Jared Betcher, who was on Infect, and uh, my friend sat me down and said, "Okay, this is your plan. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know." You want to let him attack you, that's fine, but don't let him get extra damage in. If you have the block, make him, you know, block so you can try to get the chip damage. Uh, he has to use the pump spells to uh, continue attacking. I was like, yeah, yeah, I did none of that, right? Because I, I, my play style is one that needs to be in those modes. Um, and I, I, that's something I, I need to work on as a player. So hopefully this, um, you know, stint with... Um, EDH, a little more competitive EDH will help me overall. That's really what I can hope, right? Try to find ways to constantly grow and improve. All right, well, let's actually just jump into talking about some deck lists. Um, we actually had a PTQ over the weekend, which is super exciting, um, in Modern. So this is actually won by uh, Frisky Friska, which I think is a great name or a terrible name. I'm still not sure. Uh, but Frisky Frasca uh, was playing a white-black 80-card Urian list, um, which I think is always cool. Uh, some of the cards that you're seeing in here that haven't, I don't want to say haven't been around, right? I think this deck is, is, is a known quantity in some way, but the way it's kind of built is, is super interesting. Um, obviously a lot of come into play effects. You want to take a, a advantage of Urine as much as possible. Um, Giver of Runes, I think, is a great card from Mount Horizons that uh, probably doesn't see nearly as much play as it should. Um, I know it's seen some play in the Green White Company decks as a one or two of occasionally, but not, not terribly often. Um, but you also have things like Charming Prince, um, Tide Hollow Sculler. Um, the one, the new addition here is the Elite Sky... Uh, Spellbinder, which is obviously from Strixhaven, the uh, Palo Vitro Dama de Rosa's Invitational card, which has been super impressive. And then also Skycliff Apparition, which is super good. And you're combining this stuff uh, with Urian, 
But you also have the Wasteland Strangler, which I think works really well when you start combining it with the Tidehollow Scholars and the uh, Skycleave Apparitions, the Elite Spellbinders. And this is actually something Mapson had talked about before, so I actually think this is a really interesting deck list here. Um, you're also combining this thing with things like Ephemerate, which I think is great. Uh, one of the things I think is really neat about this deck um, is the fact that the amount of bit value you actually get out of Charming Prince, right? Being able to blink these things, and I still think the sweetest play is having Yurian, um, you know, flicker Charming Prince, and then Charming Prince comes back into play and flickers Yurian, and you're just end of turn, you know, flickering your board and drawing a bunch of cards with uh, Wall of Omens, and exiling a bunch of, um, or killing a bunch of creatures with Wasteland Strangler and exiling other permanents with Skyclave Apparition. Like, those games get out of hand really quickly. So I'm kind of impressed with this. Um, the other thing, kind of in the sideboard, or in the main deck at least, that I thought was interesting was the fact they're actually playing Sky uh, Bright Climb Pathway. Uh, this is the black-white pathway land um, that we see um, out of, I believe it's... Um, Zendikar Rising, yeah. Uh, and I think those decks, these lands are actually really interesting, um, just kind of the niche they fill. Right, they're non-basic lands for sure. This deck is obviously not as big of an issue, but I think when you start putting this into things like blue-red land, or blue-red decks, uh, we talked about those decks that are, you know, straight blue-red, um, but they don't actually have any islands in them, right? So they, they are blue-red land, or blue-red decks that can happen to play things like Boil, which I think is really neat. Um, the Pathway Lands here obviously have that same idea, right? We're obviously we're not worried about Boil in our black-white deck, but the idea gives you the flexibility in being able to um, cast spells, right? If you're worried about being able to cast your Skycleave Apparition on time, or you're worried about being able to cast your Tidal Ice Color, uh, a very easy way to use your mana uh, flexibly and also not to worry about taking a bunch of damage. Like Godless Shrine is great, uh, but also you don't want to take a bunch of damage every game. Uh, same thing with the uh, Kinsfield Courtyard, which this deck actually does play three copies of that as well. But this deck can very easily um, get to a situation where you want to be utilizing your mana every turn. And having a land that comes in and play tapped is not always ideal. So I thought this was just a really nice idea in deck building. And I think we are going to see pathway lands a little more commonly in the future when people kind of understand how powerful they actually are. Right, there is, there is a big advantage to just having your lands come to play untapped. <laughs> I do want to go back talking about Charming Prince, by the way. Um, Dylan Lurch um, posted something on Twitter, which I thought was really interesting, um, talking about how powerful Eldraine <laughs> has been. Um, and just to cite his tweet here, um, Eldraine missed on its high-end power level, but I still love the rest. Charming Prince, Giant Killer, um, Borrower, Brazen Borrower, uh, Emery, uh, Fay of Wishes, uh, Mystical Dispute, Murderous Rider, Rankle, Bone Crusher, Gilded Goose, Drown in the Lock, Ginger Brute, Stone Coil, um, Serpent, um, The Castles, which cast a cycle of five, um, Fabled Passage, uh, many very cool cards. And I responded to this, because um, one, Dylan is very interesting. If you haven't followed Dylan Lurch, um, I think he puts out enough interesting things that I think um, a pretty good uh, follow when he's playing. But that list right there is, you know, and this is not including the broken cards, right? Like this is including Once Upon a Time. It's not talking about Oko. Um, we're not talking about, um, I can't remember what the other card uh, 
other cards that got banned from this <laughs> the set are right um and once again not even talking about the cards that have been powerful in standard right like we're not talking about uh witch's oven or um you know cauldron familiar which is also a legacy playable card right that that list they just listed there which is 24 cards right if you count the castles as individuals um you know trying prince obviously seeing play in a deck that is right you know modern playable uh giant killer obviously is a good tutor um that we've seen out of greenway company decks uh when they're trying to use their knight captain obviously brazen barber embry um have been all-stars mystical dispute has been um huge uh murderous rider uh has betrayed a pioneer not too much in in modern but shows up but bone crusher and brazen bar have been showing up in legacy recently we're, we're going to see some decks um with those cards later like i just think this is probably going to be one of the most powerful sets of all time when it's all said and done you know like even stone coil engine uh, stone coil engine <laughs> stone coil uh serpent right it's getting even some of the love and vintage where you're able to dump a bunch of uh, Mishra's Workshop mana into it and get a huge Stone Coil Serpent uh, that your opponent has to deal with that also gets through Oko. It's, you know, this is really one of those powerful card uh, sets of all time. Um, and I, I was kind of comparing it to New Phyrexia, right? And New Phyrexia, just quick scan here, right? You've got cards like uh, Phyrexian Obliterator and Elishnorn, Surgical Extraction. Uh, you've got Birthing Pod, obviously a modern uh, band card there. Uh, Battle Skull, um, Torpor Orb shows up from time to time. Uh, Phyrexian Metamorph shows up time to time. Uh, we had a point in time where Mental Misstep was shaped the legacy format to the point where it ended up getting banned and essentially changed the format forever. Um, and Spellskite, Malira was once a top tier combo deck. Even things like Dismember and Hex Parasite right, still show up. And obviously Cataxian Probe, I think, is probably one of the most underrated commons of all time um in its time and this is not even to mention things like listener l for dispatch that show up gut shot right um bladed agent jeez this set is juiced but I, you know when you even when you're kind of putting them pound to pound like obviously you know something car liberated has stood the step the test of time i think right it, it's been around and it's been important enough where we do need to kind of give it give him his due but I don't, I don't know. Um, Deceiver Exarch and Vapor Snag 2 are the two other ones that definitely need to be mentioned here. But I, I still think <laughs> that uh, Throne of Eldraine is probably still going to be one of those powerful sets of all time probably 10 years from now. So it's definitely New Phyrexia or Throne. I think that's kind of up for debate, though. Some other decks that I, that I saw from this top eight, and I, I do think there's a lot of really good ones. Um, for modern, um, I'm going to kind of run through some of these a little quicker because I don't think we, we've talked about them on previous weeks. Um, I do like the red white um, list that made that I got third place. It's just red white prowess is playing the Club uh, of Manther, which I think has also really shown itself to be a, a huge player uh, with uh, Monastery Swiss Spear and Soulscar Mage. So this list, though, is also playing Dreadhorde Arcanist, which I think is actually really neat. Right, like you do have a decent amount of one drops you would would want to cast, especially in this deck. Uh, things like crash through. I think having copies, you know, virtual copies, um, five through eight in your deck would be ideal. Right, it just makes your clever Lumen Mancer that much better. And I think 
this deck, especially when you start looking at the mana of it, right? Like most of your lands can cast the Clever Lumomancer, and it's the only white card in the main deck. Like in the sideboard, you start adding things like Path Exile and Core Firewalker, Revoke Existence, which I think is actually really interesting, uh, just because it's a sorcery, um, well, it's a way to exile enchantments, which is really important for Heliod. But like I think this is this deck is starting to warp around the idea that Clever Lumomancer is the best thing you can be doing in this deck on turn one. Uh, which I think it's a good place to be. I mean, honestly, I, I think it gives the deck a direction. It makes it very clear what we're trying to do. And trying to work the Arcanist into that plan, I think it's, I think it's super solid. Uh, the one thing that kind of uh, throws me off is that I don't know why we're still playing Mishra's Bobble. Like, I understand that people obviously love Mishra's Bobble. It's a fan favorite. But if you're playing a deck that you really want to maximize the effectiveness of Clever Lumomancer, well, then I don't think you'd be playing Mitra's Bobble. And once again, it's only one card, right? So what's the downside? Well, you're also playing Dreadhorde Arcanist, right? And if you're looking at your one-drops in this deck, you do have the Crash Throughs, you do have the Lava Darts, you do have the uh, Lightning Bolts and the Mutagenic Growth. Well, I'm not really trying to flashback um, Lava Dart for my Arcanist. Like, that's not... I can just cast it myself. That's not a big issue. Uh, I do like the Mugenic Growth with the Arcanist. That's really sweet. So that does let you go up the chain and potentially get something or cast something like Light Up the Stage um, if you want to, or, or even Manamorphose. Why not? But the Mishra's Bobble in my mind doesn't really hit as much as it could. Like the Swiss Spears and the Soul Scar Mages are fine. And we obviously were playing a Railway Prowess version of the deck before I was playing those. But you also did have things. Like the, I can't remember the card, the two mana prowess, uh, two one wizard, you exile the top card of your library. If you know what it is, you feel free to tweet the show at depth underscore podcast and I'll read it, you know, two days from now, don't worry. Um, and you do have Lurus in the deck, right? So the Mishra's Bobbles are not terrible, but I don't know. I, I, was, I kind of think there should be something else there, maybe. I don't know. That's one of the cards I think that kind of stands out to me is not ideal, but it does go well with the Lurus. It does allow you to kind of grind later in the game if you get to that point. So I guess it probably has done its due. Um, another deck from this top eight that I thought was super fascinating was the uh, red green deck, and at this point it's just it's the you know pillage deck, right? I mean they are playing four copies of pillage. I don't know if you want to call it pillage uh, per se, right? But you're playing Arbor Elf, you're ramping with Utopia's Brawl, you're trying to cast a turn three Blood Moon, or, or turn two Blood Moon, turn two Pillage, put your opponent way far behind. Um, this deck, I think, is still one of those decks that does not seem like it should be as powerful as it is, but, I mean, it has probably one of the best curves in the, in the meta, right? I mean, like, they have eight one-drops that they want to play. Um, they do have access to things like Bone Crusher Giant, which allows them to have a play on turn two and th apply pressure on turn three if they need to. Uh, this. there's a lot of games that Cloythus just takes over where you cannot get out of the, the life gain, life loss um, drain game. Um, even Bloodbraid Elf. I think this is probably the best Bloodbraid Elf deck right now just because I think when Bloodbraid does come down, getting something like Cloythus is not terrible. Um, getting, hitting something like Bone Crusher Giant is just very flexible. Well, where if you need a blocker or if you just need to, you know, stomp something and get it off the battlefield. Um, even like, you know, your opponent having like their own Ren and Six, which I think is also obviously a hit for this um, 
this deck. Uh, but being able to stomp and then attack with the Blood Breed Elf to attack your the opponent Ren, Ren from down from five, that came out a little awkward, um, it's just really good. So I think this deck has kind of proven itself to me at least to be a really solid contender um, in this metagame. And we keep seeing it more and more. Um, just overall pretty impressed with this. And I do think it's probably one of the better Karn decks we're seeing right now. Like, I know Karn the Great Creator does show up occasionally in um, Tron decks. It does show up in Amulet decks. But I think this is probably the best shell for it um, just because it does have a way to kind of utilize the, the effect of Karn over that kind of slower game that this deck kind of promotes already. Right. They're able to actually utilize the liquid metal coating, combine that with their pillages, and now you kind of have a two-for-one um, rate at on the LD strategy if you need to. Um, also being able to hit something like Trinity Sphere versus the uh, Prowess decks is just brutal. I, it's the worst feeling in the world where you're like, ah, I'm going to cast Mana Morphos for three mana, I'll get two mana, and then I'll cast my one drop for three mana, like, the Trinity is just brutal by itself, so. I think this deck is definitely really good. Um, especially when you start looking at um, Dredge, which this top eight actually does not have any Dredge decks here. Um, I don't wanna say it's partially because of this deck, right? But, I mean, this deck does, a, does do a good job of cleaning up the graveyard for you, right? They do have the copies of Coitus in the main deck, but also the Carnegie Creator does get things like uh, Relic of Progenitus from your sideboard. So it makes it a little bit easier for you to uh, put pressure on your opponent, or if you're worried about them just trying to kind of knock you out slowly, right? They do have Ensnaring Bridge too, um, to prevent you from, prevent themselves really from getting swarmed. So, yeah, overall pretty impressed with this deck here too. The one I'm actually most excited about though is, has to be the Blue-Red Prowess deck. Um, the Red-White I think has being kind of the darling because they have the clever uh, Lumanther, right? I think that card had the ability to be so powerful. It's just exciting. It's exciting to have a card that, um, you know, takes over a game like that and being able to, you know, dome you with a one drop for 10 damage is a really cool feeling. Um, but I do think the blue-red deck has probably gotten the most upside, I'll say, um, from the new set coming out. Um, this deck does not look terribly different from what we've seen before. Um, this is the um, eighth place list from uh, underscore stream, which is an interesting name. Um, but I like this deck a lot. Um, if you're looking at it, they have uh, the normal suite of creatures, right? you know, Swiss Beast, Soul Scar Maze, uh, Sprite Dragon. They have one copy of Brazen Bar, which I like too, um, and the Stormwing Entity. Um, and once again, the, the spells here are pretty solid. Um, the big thing that we're seeing, though, is that they're actually playing that expressive iteration. And we talked about this um, on the show last week as well. Um, expressive iteration is a blue and a red. Look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, put one of them on the battle, uh, the bottom of your library, and exile one of them, and you make half the exiled card this turn. This is a deck I think that's super solid, and we're going to see variations of this in Legacy later, but this is one of those decks I think is really neat because of the fact that you actually get to utilize the mana effectively. Like, I think this deck, people always want to try to jam and kill you on turn, you know, three, turn four. And this obviously can do that, right? Some combination of um, 
monetary swift spear and sprite dragon, a couple of metamorphoses, maybe a mutagenic growth, some lightning um, bolts and some lava darts, you might be good to go. But I think this deck is actually really good because when you start transitioning into that later game, you know, that turn three, turn four, turn five, the expressive iteration does such a good job of bridging you to those later turns, right? It, it a lot of times, right, when you're casting the expressive iteration, um, it might be getting that, putting that land into your hand, totally fine. Um, and then you kind of look at your top three cards, you took the land, you have a creature or you have a spell. Like, I don't need the creature right now, uh, so I'll put that on the bottom and I'll exile the spell and I can attack, right? This is two prowess triggers I have before I even attacked. Fantastic. Uh, well, maybe I don't want the spell right now. Maybe I want to save this up for a big turn on turn four. Well, in that case, I'm going to exile the land and I'll play the land instead. So now I have the spell in my hand. I still put the creature. I don't want the creature here. I'll put them on the bottom and I play the land instead. Right? Just the ability to kind of change how you're approaching. I guess the flexibility in the card allows you to change and it kind of adapt the card to your situation, your game plan, um, really in any given situation. And the fact you get to look at three cards and then manipulate those, um, it could very easily have just been two. You know what I mean? Like they could have said, look at the top two, put one in your hand, exile the other. And I think that card is still fine. Um, but the extra card, the extra peak, is just another benefit, a little flourish on top of how good this card already is. Um, this card does kind of promote, and this is something we're going to see, and I'll talk about more in Legacy too, but you don't know what you're going to exile, right? So if you are in the situation where you are top decking your expressive iteration, well, you want to have the ability to play lands that could tap for blue or for red. And obviously, you your one mana spells are more red than blue in the stack, right? You have, you know, the Swiss Beer, the Soulscar Mage, the Lava Darts, the Lightning Bolts, and the Wild Slashes, as opposed to just four opt. So you kind of are incentivized to have the ability to play a mountain if you if you need to. But in a deck that's a little more balanced, right, ideally, if we had our choice, right, my land, when it comes into play, is going to tap for either blue or for red. Well, what do I have that does that, right? I have the Fiery Islet, sure. I have the Spire Buff Canal, sure. And I also have the Steam Vents, also fine. Well, Fire, Fiery Islet only does it, you know, it deals me damage, so it's kind of annoying. Steam vents have to take two damage, also kind of annoying, but it's only a one-time thing, not a big deal. The Spire Bluff Canal only does it when it comes into play um, as your third land. So my expressive iteration into that is great, but it needs to be the land, um, the third land there. Um, what's going to end up happening, and I think people are going to kind of realize this a little bit more, um, the Islet, I think, is obviously, in this situation, probably the best one. The Steam vents might be, you know, depending on the board, right, might be... Uh, a solid choice too but you kind of want to have the ability to consistently cast a blue or a red spell right like i think the spire the spire buff canal is a good card in this deck but it doesn't really work with the expressive iteration because it might be the land you're stuck with and you can't actually use it to utilize um, as much mana as you want to in that turn so the cards like spire buff canal i think are going to 
right, in, in my mind at least, should be a little bit more decreased, and we should be kind of leaning a little bit more towards the steam vents and the uh, fire islet. Um, just because I want to make sure I can consistently cast a blue or red spell. And Spire Buff Canal does not allow me to do that as well. So that's another card I'm thinking, um, what I'm thinking about kind of starting with this deck, is trying to figure out how to make expressive iteration as good as possible. Um, I'm a huge fan, and we've talked about this on the show a couple of times as well, but letting Light Up the Stage is probably a very highly underrated card in the fact that it's just one mana draw two. I think that's such a, a powerful ability, and something like the blue-black mill deck that actually got second in this um, event, by the way, um, is really powerful just because you do have, um, you know, a, a card that allows you to draw three cards for one mana, right? And it's one of the only cards in the format that allows you to do that. Um, being able to call draw two cards effectively for one mana, also just as good. And when you start looking at things like Let Up the Stage, right, the fact that it actually helps in, in exile so your opponents can't make you discard it, I think is also a huge benefit. Also, it lets you do it until the end of your next turn, which also is a huge benefit. So you have this quote-unquote virtual card advantage until you actually uh, materialize it. Um, when you're looking at expensive iteration, right, you just have a smaller window. So you need to make sure you can convert these virtual cards into actual cards as quickly as possible. And once again, two mana obviously is more expensive. One mana, I don't have to tell you that. Um, but expressive iteration, you don't have to set up, right? I don't need to deal combat damage first and then I get to for one mana. I don't need to throw a lightning bolt or a lava dart on my opponent before I get this effect. I just get it, right? Two mana straight all in. I just get, hopefully, uh, these two cards. Um, so once again, I think my main thing is I want to make sure I have the ability to cast these spells off of that spell as consistently as possible. So just something I'm kind of thinking about. All right. Um, let's talk about Legacy. Um, and once again, I'm going to just talk about a couple decks that that came up that I think are either really sweet um, or at least kind of noteworthy. Um, continuing kind of off where we left off, uh, we were talking about how sweet expressive iteration is. Um, and you're starting to see the deck um, just show up in more places, right? Like the um, Legacy version of this deck uh, there's actually two that I was looking at, uh, one in the Saturday Challenge, one in the Sunday Challenge, with Expressive Iteration. And kind of going off the same tangent here, um, you know, once again, go back to the scenario, right? I have a, a spell, I have a creature, I have a land. I, I really, really want to play a land and then cast a spell. Cool. Well, what's the worst land I can cast, <laughs> I can play, if I want to cast a spell this turn? And... Surprise, surprise, Wasteland, right? I think the Expressive Iteration pushes you in a direction where you want to be able to always cast a spell off it, and that puts the Wasteland in a really awkward spot. And if you've played any amount of Delver, you you know this. Um, you mulligan down to um, six, you know, six. You look at your hand, and you're like, okay, I've got um, double Wasteland and spells. Like, well, I can't can actually keep this this hand, right? This Wasteland doesn't do anything here. Um, when you start looking at Expressive Iteration, right, this is one of those cards that's going to turn your two-mana draw two, which I think is fine rate, into a two-mana draw one. Because I'm not going to have anything to do with that Wasteland, right? If I don't have the other land, um, I could potentially put the Wasteland in my land and cast a spell, obviously, right, if I had another land in my hand. But the Wasteland does not get you out of spots. 
Um, obviously, it does push your advantage. Very good card. I'm not. I'm not saying Wasteland to not, but maybe this isn't the deck for expensive iteration. Like maybe I want Wasteland in my deck that's a little bit more aggressive. That I can utilize my um, use my mana to be more aggressive towards my opponent, put them in a really bad spot. Um, there was a deck that I saw that I thought was really interesting. Um, that was playing Monastery Swiss Spears, playing Soulscar Mage. Um, it was playing um, the iteration, but it was also playing Wasteland there. And once again, the, the idea was I'm pushing my opponent's life total as much as possible. But at that point, like, why not just play Let Up the Stage? Like, I already want to be casting my Chain Lightning and my opponent pre-combat because I want the triggers for my prowess creatures. So, like, just lean into that at that point. Just be the deck that wants to be casting these one-mana spells to trigger my prowess. That's totally fine, right? I, I don't think there's an issue with playing the Swiss Beer, Soul Scar, Bright Dragon deck, but then also playing Light Up the Stage to make, make sure you maximize your mana. Uh, and in that deck, too, wouldn't I rather just be casting a bunch of one-mana spells? Like, why am I trying to waste my time with two-mana spells? And even more importantly, why the odds of me getting an advantage on this... Um, on you know turn three turn four turn five are really slim when i'm starting to you know cast days and i'm trying to um wasteland my opponent right like i just don't have the land at that point so instead of even trying to do that right I, and i do think uh one of the decks in the saturday challenge um was playing the wastelands right um they're playing things like true new nemesis they're playing things like ethereal forger uh brazen bar or bone crusher giant like this deck can go a little bit longer so I actually like the idea of playing um, the expressive iteration here, right? I actually want to be able to make my land drops consistently. I want to have my cards in my graveyard. Um, my forger, obviously, I do would like to exile four cards if possible, but I want to have cards in my graveyard. Um, and if the game goes a little bit longer, I don't mind. Um, this deck is playing 19 lands uh, with the four wastelands, which I think is a fine number. Um, but this deck is kind of expecting to go a little bit longer. Um, but I do think if you want to maximize the effect um, of something like Expressive Iteration, you need to kind of play it with the intention that your deck is going to be able to stretch out the game into those turn 5, turn 6, turn 7s. Um, I think if you want to end, be ending the game relatively quickly, once again, just switch to light up a stage. I think, it, I think it's going to do exactly what you want it to do a lot more effectively than um, other decks might. Um, going back to my, oh, there we go, I figured it out. Um, so, we were talking before about my sweet EDH deck with Tassiger. Well, I was playing, um, obviously Thassa's Oracle, but I was, the card I was talking about before was Edge of Autumn, which I think is a really sweet card. Um, I really like um, the list that actually won the Saturday Challenge. So, this was by uh, Wonder Prio. Um, and once again, creature spells here. We're playing one Oracle, we're playing four Street Wraith. Totally cool. Uh, four Dark Rituals. And this deck looks pretty standard. Um, the big thing that's a little different um, is that it's playing four copies of Personal Tutor. And we have seen this in the past couple weeks. I just don't think we've talked about it on the show. Um, so Personal Tutor is one blue for a sorcery. Uh, sor search your library for a sor sorcery card and reveal that card. Shuffle your library put that card on top of it. So it's Mystical Tutor, but just for sorceries, and it is a sorcery. Cool. Um, I think it's actually super cool. Like, 
Um, obviously, Mystical Tutor was so good they got banned, right? Which I think is honestly for the best. If you um, want to see the power that is that card, you can go back and watch the SCG um, archive when they used to be playing, um, you know, Blue Red Reanimator a bunch, or Blue Black Reanimator a bunch. That was super cool and fun and interesting. Um, but personal tutor, being able to tutor up these sorceries, I think is, once again, really neat. Um, something like Doomsday, I think is really cool. Um, being able to tutor that up, get in your hand, and kind of hopefully set up the turn, you know, turn three, turn four kill. Um, being able to go get something like Nice Whisper, super sweet. And once again, I think Nice Whisper, Edge of Autumn, these cards just help you set up your combo a little bit more effectively. Um, but even going using personal tutor to go find something like duress, I think could be, um, you know, if it's necessary, right, could be good. So I kind of like um, the direction this deck went. Um, the sideboard too, I feel like we've talked about this before, but I haven't, I don't think I've seen it in a while. Um, the four copies of the defense grid and the board, I think are obviously super solid. Um, they do have the second Thassa's Oracle, which is one of those cards. I'm still not sure when you would bring that in. Like you're, you're already playing Cavernous Soul, so do you need the second oracle? Like, couldn't you just plan to play the cavern? Or is this like some kind of way to play around wasteland potentially? Or is this one of those situations where you expect your opponent to have like, one stifle, so you play the second oracle to have the second to play around? You know, them having the first one. Um, but if you're gonna play around them having stifle, then just cast duress and get rid of the stifle before it's an issue. So I'm not sure. But I, it's interesting that you have the, the second Thassa's Oracle in the sideboard. I wonder what that's for. In the Sunday challenge, uh, one of the cards I, one of the decks I was interested in actually was Omnitel. And um, actually, shout out to Lin Chalice. Lin Chalice actually top eight at the Sunday challenge uh, because he is a sicko. Um, so, you know, congrats to Lin Chalice. Uh, but... One of the decks he actually lost against in the Mana Traders event, so I had to bring that up, Lynn, um, was the Omnitel deck, the, the green-blue uh, Omnitel deck. And this deck, I think, has really benefited from trying to not be all-in on trying to combo, but just be have a plan B that allows you to play a game where you just generate card advantage, you stock up your hand, and then when you do try to go for it, you probably can't really compete because you have your hand stocked with things like um, Veil of Summers and Force of Wills to go along with your second copy of Show and Tell. Like, I think that's kind of where you want to be with this deck. Um, the format at this point is not as fast and unforgiving as it has been in the past, so I, I do think you have the ability to take some liberties and trying to just stock up your hand... Um, I think something like uh, Ice Vein Quaddle also has the benefit of obviously drawing your card, right? But also being able to potentially block something like a um, Delver of Secrets or a Dark Confidant coming out uh, from your opponent. Um, I think the benefit of having something like that to allow you to slow the game down, fuel your Uro potentially, um, is huge. So, they do have that. Um, yeah, I like this deck. I think this deck's really sweet. Um, there was another deck that I think is, like, super sweet. And I think this is where I'm, I'm going to leave off because I, I don't want to um, drag this out any longer than I think you guys want me to. But I think the deck that really has 
gotten my goat. I think for this top eight is the four color rector fit, um, and I'm really ha I'm really upset. Maps is not here because this is definitely a deck that's up his alley. Um, we have Urian in our eighty card deck because naturally, why don't we? Uh, but we also do have Veteran Explorer because it's a Nick fit deck. We have to have Veteran Explorer. Um, but like the sweet wombo combo in my mind, it's the fact you have Veteran Explorer along with Opp Opposition Agent. Like just being able to like get somebody with the agent, and you're not even getting them, right? They have no choice in the matter. They're just going to search the library and you're going to Opposition Agent them and take two lands from them. I think that's just super cool. Um, they are playing the Academy Rector, um, which is the one that gets enchantments. Um, they also are playing Arena Rector, which I think is really cool. That's the one that gets Planeswalkers. So this deck is actually capable of getting Congregate Creator or getting Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Like, this deck is just like, man, so much stuff. Um, I just like, it's just so many cards uh, that I haven't really thought about. Like, and like, I was kind of like, well, what are you going to get with for your enchantments? Like, you're, you're going to get like Omniscience. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, I can get Omniscience. Or it can get Curse of Death Hold, or Curse of Misfortunes, which obviously Curse, uh, Curse of Misfortunes is a card that I have on speed dial because that card must be brought up as much as possible. Uh, that's the one at the beginning of your uh, beginning of your upkeep. You may search your library for a curse card that doesn't have the same name as a curse attached to enchanted player. Put on the battlefield attached to that player that shuffle your library. So Curse of Misfortunes um, allows you to go search up the Curse of Death Hold, which I think is great. It also allows you to go search up Overwhelming Splendor, uh, which, oh, what is Overwhelming Splendor? It's been a while. Yeah, why not? Uh, six and double white uh, enchant player uh, for an aura curse. Uh, creatures enchanted player controls lose all abilities and have base power and toughness, 1-1. One, one. Uh, enchanted player can't activate abilities that aren't mana abilities or loyalty abilities. So that's super cool. Um, <laughs> Just like a one-sided humility um, in almost the worst way. Like, I think that's just insane. Um, but you have the Omniscience, you have the Overwhelming Splendor, you have Dovescape too, which is also, like, another nonsense card. Um, just being able to counter a bunch of spells and make a bunch of 1-1 one -one doves. Like, what is happening? And, like, I think that also the combo of having um, Dovescape with Curse of Death Hold, so your opponent can't cast spells, and when they do, they get 1-1 one, one doves that immediately die to <laughs> the Curse of Death Hold. So, like, they could destroy it, but they can't. Um, I think it's also just a really sweet combination of spells. Um, Max and I also talked about our love of Wishes, um, I think it was two weeks ago. Um, this deck's actually playing four copies of Living Wish, so you can search your sideboard for either a creature or a land. So you kind of have a toolbox feel here. Right, you can go search up a Phyrexian Tower if you want to sack to your uh, Veteran Explorer, or, or maybe you instead decide you want a second copy of Plague Engineer. Uh, maybe you want that another Academy Rector just in case, or maybe you just want to search your sideboard and pull up that Emrakul that you've been hoping for this whole match now that you have your Omniscience in play. You can live your best life um, a la um, Omnitel. Right? I mean, you've got Caracas in the deck already, right? Why not go the extra mile and just Caracas and recall yourself and take all the turns? Like, this deck is just super sweet. So I'm, I'm really happy this deck exists. I'll say it like that. Okay. Well, I'm not going to hold you guys much longer because I feel like 
Um, it feels like one of my students. And I, I, I made this joke a couple times, but my mental clock, because um, my classes are normally 45 minutes, once I'm talking for more than 45 minutes, which, trust me, I don't talk the whole 45 minutes typically. This is an anomaly. Um, but typically when I get to that 45-minute mark, my brain just goes, okay, we got to get out of here. They're, they're, they're growing tired of us. The bell's about to ring, and you have to go to the bathroom. So let's try to hurry this up here. Um, so now that we're towards that 44-minute mark, uh, I will try to wrap up here. <laughs> I promise. Um, I do want to thank you guys so much just for tuning in every week, and you know, even in weeks like this where we're not um, having the normal banter between me and Mapson, um, you guys still ch um, tune in just to kind of listen to kind of updates and see how everything's going. It just means a lot that you guys still support us even when we're not doing our typical thing, um, which makes it you know me me and Mapson feel a little more comfortable in trying new things. Um, also, thank you so much for. Um, really enjoying the episode. It looked like you guys really loved the episode with Lynn Chalice on. Uh, once again, he was really great, and hopefully we get Shuen uh, to be back on at some point soon. Uh, hopefully we didn't scare him off. Um, if you guys have anybody else you're interested um, in us trying to track down, harass, and otherwise um, get onto the show, uh, please let us know. Uh, feel free to uh, tweet uh, Mapson at Expedition Map on Twitter. Um, you can also message me at Bad Luck Bandit, or you can message, message the show at depth underscore podcast. We also have an email, which is darkdepthpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send messages there, they could be um, who you want us to have on the show next. It could be uh, super creepy and cryptic messages about uh, the upcoming apocalypse. It could be a suggestion for Mapson's new name in the next episode something like that uh, we would love to have that as well um but once again just please so much uh thank you for tuning in um do me a favor if you can um just because it helps other people find us as well uh, try to review us on your wherever you listen to podcast if it's on apple if it's on google um if it's on uh spotify or pocket cast whatever doesn't matter um even if you just usually just yell it out your window uh, but just try to review us so we can um, help other people find us a little bit easier. Uh, I'd be greatly appreciated. All right. Um, well, hopefully I'll see Mapson next week. Um, and I hope you guys have a good night. All right. Bye.